Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Let's get here. We just uh, I've been in a in a place for the last couple of weeks and all of my personal time uh seems to uh go around this theme so I'm talking about the father and uh the image of God, uh the father's heart, all of those things and I said that on Wednesday night that I feel like the Lord is trying to uh, establish uh, something fresh in our heart considering uh, the Father, okay? I believe that this morning, I believe that, uh, you know, Matt, he's going to come from the from really the, the the stream really that I raised him in, I guess you would say is, you know, we, we, we take it by force. You know what I'm saying? Amanda's coming from the place, whole different well, but those two streams were meeting together. You believe that this morning in this house? They were flowing good together. And I believe that's God just trying to say, I'm trying to merge us with something fresh in this house. And so uh, I believe that the whole worship was prophetic this morning of where we're trying to get to and where we're trying to go. How many knows that you got to have both? There's two ways that the kingdom advances. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven suffer violence in Matthew 11 and 12, but the violent take it by force. Sometimes the only way you're going to get something is you got to get up and go after it, right? There, here's the other side. There's the other side of that coin that Jesus said that we receive the kingdom as a what? Child. And how many knows, I'm just saying for me, maybe not for some of you, but for me, that is the hardest place to just sit down and do nothing and just simply receive it as a child, right? How many knows that it is sometimes we even prove it like when somebody tries to give us something. If somebody wants to bless us with $50, something like, you know, what can I do to, what can I do to work for to earn it? A simple gift, right? And so... Um, so we want to talk about that this morning. Um, I never do this, but I should do it more often. Um, uh, but I just want to say that uh, just how thankful I am for Catherine. Tomorrow I'll be married to this great woman for 16 years. And I'm so thankful she said yes. You give her a great God bless you. I would not be where I'm at today if it had not been for her. And so I'm so thankful for her. She is a prayer warrior. She is an example. I'm telling you right now. Uh, in worship, uh, I've never, I've never... I've never had to in any place we've ever been. And, Lord, I've preached in a lot. She's traveled with me when we were evangelizing. We've been pastor now for um, uh, 10 years, a little over 10 years. And I never had to wonder if I was, when I got to church if she was going to worship or not. But she was always ready. Regardless if the kids were fighting in the car, pulling the headliners out or whatever, she went for it. She leaves it on the field every Sunday. And I'm so thankful for that. And... Um, all right, so uh, let's go here. I, I just want to, I'm going to set this up. We're going to read a bunch of scripture. I don't know. I got a lot of things, so I don't know how all this is going to do. I'm going to pray God to help us uh, bake the cake and put the icing on it. We leave here changed today. Father, I am do ask today that you help me. You would strengthen me to preach, in the God, to preach the gospel this morning. Help me preach good. Help the people be blessed this morning. Let us leave encouraged and just do what only you can do. Holy Ghost, I trust you this morning in Jesus' name. I'm going to give you a quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, let me say this. When we mention Jesus, God the Father, let's, I'm, I'm talking about the Father this morning. How many know that there's three in one, right? It's three. They, they manifest themselves in three different ways. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. My mind cannot wrap around the Trinity, neither can you explain all that, friend. Right? All I know is this. Just like an egg has a shell, a yolk, and the, and, the white, and the white part, right? 
I can't explain all that, but they are. And here's the deal. And when the Holy Ghost comes in this room, that that you know that there's there's a scripture in Luke that says that uh, that the that the Spirit of the Lord was present to heal. There, I believe that there's. I do know this that the counsel of God releases the power of God because Isaiah said He shall be wonderful counselor, mighty God. So counsel precedes might, and so every time the Spirit of God shows up, He comes in this place with an agenda. Do you believe that? Our deal is to come in agreement with what heaven wants to do. Right in worship, that's why we have. I, I like it to because uh, I'm country, I like it to quail hunt. And sometimes you got to let the dogs run in the field a little bit before they win the birds, right? But once the birds get winded, there's an agenda, there's something that God wants to do in that place. And so it's in that moment that we come in agreement with that. If God wants to come in here to heal, then we move in healing, right? If He wants to deliver, then we move in deliverance, right? If He wants to save, then we open the gates for salvation, right? With the, but our job is to come in agreement with what He desires to do in the in this place and so there's sometimes that God shows up and he manifests himself as the father that's where we feel deeply loved right and it's in that moment he's asking us just to come to him crawl up in his lap and let us love on him there's times that we feel the presence of Jesus which is now our elder brother when encouragement comes into the room he's saying come on go you can make it right I've already paved the way I, I went through the cross I endured the shame so that you could go go for it right and then there's times that we feel the empowerment or the fire that's the Holy Ghost saying hey I'm ready to fire you up this morning right now I'm good on the Holy Ghost I've run revival since I was a teenager I could preach about the Holy Ghost lay hands stack them up like cordwood but where we struggle is our image of the Father we see this when we see like tragedy roll through through, through the lands. Um, like when, remember when the storms rode through Tuscaloosa, the weather channel and, and the news will call this acts of God. That is not our Father in heaven killing, stealing, and destroying. Amen. Come on now. That is the, that it, the, the enemy comes, Jesus said in John 10 and 10, to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said that I come, what? That you may have life and struggle and try to make it. No. He said that I come that you may have what? Life and life more abundantly. God promises us the abundant life. That's available to everyone in this room regardless of where I find myself this morning. Jesus made a way so that I could have an abundant life. Not just simply here trying to cope, not struggling with addiction, not trying to make it, having a rough marriage, broke. No, Jesus came that I may have life and life more abundantly. I just got to have the wisdom to tap into what he's already paid for. If you're new here, I, pre I holler sometimes. Teachers tell it, preachers yell it. I just happen to be a preacher, okay? Listen to this. His goodness is beyond our ability to comprehend, but not beyond our ability to experience. His goodness is beyond our ability to comprehend, but not beyond our ability to experience. Right? It is impossible for us to create a concept of what he is like that is greater than he really is. Someone said, well, I'm just, I, he might be exaggerating. Listen here, none of us in this room, in our, in our ability to come up, could not, could not exaggerate how good God is. All right, we're going to go in this. Look at this in Ephesians 3.20. Let's look at this. It says, now to him who is able, now to him who is able, 
to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Listen, that what, G, what Paul is saying, the best that I can dream it, God said, I'll do it beyond that. The best that I can dream it, I'll do it beyond that. Now, I got into this Wednesday night, and I'm going right back where I was Wednesday night. Let's just say this. Probably none of us was raised by perfect dads. Has anybody in here had a perfect one? Some had close to it, right? Some had dads that were at every game cheering you on. Some had dads that had the perfect prayer life that you heard praying early in the morning. And when you went down the night to sleep, you heard praying. Others didn't have that. So here's the deal. If my earthly father was not great in my life, it does have an effect on how I view Father God. Because here you trying to you you listen to a preacher tell you how a good father is, and you've never seen that modeled on the earth. It's hard for you to understand that the father that you saying is that great, and you can't and you can't see Father God. It's by faith, right? And so I've seen this. I've seen this over and over. And I I remember there was a guy when I was pastoring in Alma that I would minister to him, and his dad left him whenever they were little. And it had this, I mean, extreme, just hard time whenever they were little. That, that he had three other, bro- uh, two other brothers, and his mom would just take off and leave for like the dad left them when they were little, and one of his one of his brothers were crippled, and they would the mom would leave them with just like one bag of French fries, and they would be start man that I mean I can't I can't fathom that. But that's how he was raised. And so his whole deal was is that he tried to work and tried to earn his acceptance to God. And every time I would try to get down and minister to him and say, man, you don't have to do nothing. God loves you the way you, way I, the way you are. What he couldn't understand was I'm a great athlete and my own natural father didn't think I was worthy enough to stick around. How in the world can you tell me that God loves me the way I am? That image has to be broken off of his life and I'm believing before the return of the Lord or before he crosses over that will be broken but that was a stumbling block in his mind. When we try to... (coughs) When we try to enter into deep realms of worship, we go beyond... Really, the, the it, to try to get into that deep place of God. Now we're transitioning from what you know. I love praise, but praise is where we're sweating. We're really out here in the outer court dealing with a bunch of stuff. But God wants to move us beyond the veil into that place of deep worship. Here is where the image of the Father has to be at place into your life. Because if you don't see God as a loving Father, if you view Him as a taskmaster or somebody's ready to kill you because you made a mistake this week, it's hard for you to enter into that place. But yet in reality, God is saying exactly what He said. Come to me. Come on in. Bring all your stuff. Bring all your faults. Bring all your failures. All your sin. Bring it on in. Listen, religion tells us we got to get rid of that before we can go in but I'm telling you the true gospel is Jesus says come on in we're never going to deal with it out there the only place we're going to get help to deal with it is in the presence so I got to get it to God in the presence of God and allow his spirit to wash over me to break that off of my life 
Right? Religion tells us we got to get a shower outside the house before we can get in the house to get a shower. Now, somehow, I've read, I've read the Bible. Now, you got to understand, the heart of God gets a little bit confusing in the Old Testament. Right? Anybody ever read Leviticus? That's a, if you can read Leviticus without falling asleep, you're good. <laughs> With all the laws and all of this stuff. But somewhere in there, I mean, it gets confusing. I mean, here's Achan who hides a little bit of spoil in his tent. God tells Joshua to call him out, kill him, his whole family, his dogs, cats, everything. I'm thinking, Lord. And we got preachers today that'll take that and preach that. As sin in the camp. There's a lot changed after the cross, friend. Come on now. There was a whole different day released at the cross. At the cross was God's ultimate expression of who He is. God, I can't get no help in here. The cross is, is, is the exact representation of who God is. God knew we couldn't make it. He knew that I couldn't live up to his standards that was released on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. Come on, somebody. He knew that I couldn't make it. And so how, what did he? He came himself and made it for me. Now I can make it. Amen. This is the expression of who God is. And we, we've seen glimpses. We see glimpses of his goodness in the Old Testament. Like here's the deal. Think about it. If you were, if you were sold into slavery or you got broke, you were in pretty bad shape. But God made a way even in the Old Testament. Every seven years the land had to rest, right, for the Sabbath. Is that correct? Now, when there was seven times seven, which is 49, then came the year of Jubilee. What was the year of Jubilee? If you were in debt, your debts got forgiven. Things changed. It got released. You know what happened at the cross? Now every day is the day of Jubilee. Every year is a year of Jubilee. Not only that, check this out. They, they, they couldn't plant for the 40th night year because the, 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 the land was in a Sabbath. And then in the, land, the year of Jubilee, you didn't plant. It was also, and this was also a picture of the New Testament, how God was going to take care of us. They didn't plant and they didn't toll, yet they made it. Why? Because of God's grace and mercy. He provided for them. God was saying, I'm a provider even in the Old Testament. The first place we see Jehovah Jireh mentioned is not when, when, when the ram is in the thicket caught, but it was when I, Abraham and Isaac was going up the mountain. And Isaac said, I see the wood and I see, the, I see all of this. And you know what religions told us? That Isaac was a little bitty boy. Isaac was a grown teenage son. He could have overtook the father. It's a picture of Jesus that, listen, Jesus said, no man takes my life. I willingly lay it down. Nobody, nobody's kidding me here I'm laying it down come on now and as they're going up the mountain as they're going up the mountain Isaac says I see the wood I see everything but he says where is the where is the the lamb where is the what where is what we're sacrificing and Abraham looks at him and said God will provide that's the first place Jehovah Jireh is mentioned in scripture what that's telling me listen it's when I'm in the uphill climb 
Come on, somebody. It ain't always been rosy at my house. Come on, we've had some tight times. We've had some times that we didn't think God was going to come through, but he always come through. But if he's Jehovah Jireh when you're climbing the mountain, he'll be Jehovah Jireh on the mountain. All right. So, this whole deal about dad, about fathers. And I thought about this that one of the things that fathers do is they release identity. That's where really the sons and daughters get their identity is from their dad, from their father, right? So if my dad was not in his right place, he released a jacked up identity into me, which is going to cause me some trouble in life of trying to figure out who I am. You know, the things in the natural, they, they, they are mirrored of what's going on in the spiritual when I was a little boy, I didn't hear nothing about identity theft. Now we got all kind of stuff about how to, how to, somebody trying to steal your identity. Well, that's also a major crisis in the church because we have sons and daughters that don't know who they are. We don't have no identity. And one of the things, Paul said this, he said, you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. If we had true fathers in the church, the church would never have lost its identity. But because we had a lack of fathers in the church, we had an identity crisis that arose in the church. Come on now. So fathers release their identity. And a lot of, how many, is a, how many are, are, is a dad in this room? Raise your hand. All right, we got a lot. Now, how many knows this? There was things that your daddy did that you hated, and you said, I'm never going to be like that. Has anybody ever made that mistake? How many as a dad now find yourself doing some of the same stuff your daddy did? You know, when here's how my discipline took place at home. My discipline was fear-based. Anybody else ever had discipline that was fear-based? Daddy could pull his belt off. Sound like, it sounded like a 22 going off when he unshuckled the belt. Then he folded the belt in half and popped it about five times and said, go to the room. You was about to pass out before you ever come in there. How many knows that disciplined children is not about fear? It's about teaching them. And a lot of times if we're not careful, we're the ones feeling good about it. Then he would come in there and he would take care of the business. My dad didn't know what three licks was. That was not the standard. Now my middle sister who was mean I'm telling like it is. Maybe she'll listen to my podcast. She's got Jesus now, but she was mean when she was little. I'm the youngest of three. She'll say that I didn't get as many whippings. The reason why I didn't get as many whippings as she did, because she was mean. <coughs> but I remember one time my dad whipping me and my mom coming in the room and said he's had enough. And my, I mean, he was, he was putting, putting it on me. Today's standards defects would have been at the house. Probably that's what's wrong with a lot of children. My wife teaches school. There's no discipline in the house, and that's why there's no respect for authority. Come on now. I appreciate every time my daddy got on me. He taught me something, right? My mom busts in there. My dad's name is John. Said, John, he's had enough. He turned around and said, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to give you some. She left me high and dry. <clears throat> so listen, all of that sounds fun, funny. But there's a lot of things that my dad did right, but there was a lot of things that he didn't do right that causes me to have some messed up images of who God is. Now, 
So when we talk about God being good, I talk about the Father. There's a lot of different thoughts that go through everyone's mind in this room when we mention who God is. You remember in Matthew 16 when Jesus showed up at Caesarea Philippi and he said, Who do men say that I am? Some say that thou art Elijah. Some say that thou art John the Baptist. He said, But who do you say I am? The most important question is what you believe about God, who God is. Who you believe God is will determine how you live and everything about how you believe. So we got to get a correct image of that. Roll that first image up there. All right, let me ask you this. Raise your hand. How many in this, how many right here see a frog? Raise your hand. Huh? How many see something else? Raise your hand. How many see a horse? Raise your hand. How many see a frog? Raise your hand. Now, what, which is it? Is it a frog or a horse? Huh? It's a frog. Roll the other slide. Tilt it just a little bit. It's a horse. Here's the deal. We all, that's the same photograph, tilted just a little bit, and we see something different. Now, here's the deal. If we got glasses on, think about this. If I got glasses on my eyes and there's a speck on the glasses, everything that I see, even though the speck is not on what I'm looking at, the speck is not on the image, but it is on the lens in which I look through, that speck will be on everything. Come on, this is good teaching right here this morning. Y'all all right with me teaching and not just preaching? Everything that I see, if I'm raised in a jacked up home where my dad just left me, abandoned me, it is going to be hard for me to understand because I got a speck on the lens. But the goodness of God is, is when we come to him and we bring that speck, he has the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to heal that speck that's on the lens and cause us to see him for who he truly is. Right? All right. So fathers release identity. In Luke 3, verse 21 through 22, this is where Jesus is baptizing and the scripture says he himself was baptized. And as he goes down into the river Jordan, as he goes down into the river Jordan, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove and there was a voice, his father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God was releasing identity into Jesus that you are my son. You are my son and I'm pleased with you right now. This is before Jesus preached the gospel. This is before Jesus raised the dead. This is before he cast out devils. Come on. This is before he called Lazarus out of the tomb. This is before he went to Jairus' house and had the great miracle of raising his daughter. This is before he went into the temple and beat the hound out of them that were selling, come on now, in the church. Am I in the scripture? What God was saying is, hey, you're my son. You don't have to do anything else for me to be pleased with you. I'm pleased with you because you're my son. You got benefits because I'm your dad. You don't have to earn the benefits. I said this Wednesday night. Think about this. God created Adam and Eve, Adam, and he pulled Eve out of Adam, and he created them and put them in the garden, right? They're walking around. There was a serpent 
that appeared in the garden. Now, he couldn't go take anything by force because he had no dominion. Adam and Eve had the dominion, right? So the enemy has to somehow get them to come in agreement with him so that he can take what they possess. Remember when he showed up to Eve, God said that you could eat from any tree out here in the garden, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is what a lot of the church feeds from, that tree. The knowledge of good will kill you just as much as the knowledge of evil. Come on now. So what he, what, what, look at what the enemy tried to, he tried to act like that God wasn't a good provider. He's going to withhold one thing from you. No, God said you can have everything, just don't touch that one thing. Right? Now he says this, he says that for God knows if you eat the fruit off of this tree, you're going to be like him. And what he's trying to do is keep you from being like him. What the enemy tried to do is to make them create through an act what they already had by design. That's good right there. Did you hear what I said? What the enemy tried to do is to try to get them to create what they already had by design through an act. It's the same thing that religion does with our relationship with Jesus. You're already righteous. You don't have to create through an act what you already have by design. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't really believe that. That's why, that's why you can't live righteous. The problem is not with wrongdoing, it's with wrong thinking. But if I believe I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, when sin appears, it'll look like a third shoe. But if I believe I'm a sinner simply saved by grace, sin will be enticing to me. Lord, we got a long ways to plow. Down here in the south, this is, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You were a card-toting sinner, was you, were you not? I was. Sin was not a problem for me. I could do it very easily. And the Bible says what? Sin is fun for a season. How many believe sin is fun? Raise your hand. It is fun. The Bible says it is for a season. When you're eating it, it's like ice cream, but it sets down like rat poisoning. Come on. So we were sinners, but what happened? We came to Jesus. We came to the cross. And we received what he bought for us. He transformed me from a sinner into a saint. This is what happened. People come to the south. Well, I'm not trying to be a saint or nothing. What are you trying to be? I don't try to be a saint. I am a saint in Christ Jesus. I don't have to try to be nothing. I have it by design. That's who Jesus called me by design to be. We will act out the identity of who we are. If I don't believe I'm a son, I won't act like a son. So therefore, when the bills get tight and when money get tight, what's the first thing that comes to my mind? We're going down, we're sinking. Am I the only one that said that in this room? Oh, we're not going to make it. I remember reading a book one time by, um, by Randy White. It talks about before, they, before him and Paula did the church, with church without walls down there. And they were, on, they were living on government cheese, and they were out. And she just called him and told him, said, listen, the kid, we're going to starve to death. He said, well, I tell you what, he said, you start writing a book right now because we're the first ones that stepped out on obedience by God that God failed us and let us down. He said, write that book because there ain't been one written since the history of, uh, since history began. Come on, somebody. And he said, we'll be the first one. God will never leave us nor forsake us. That's a promise of the word. Even though I cannot feel him, my hair not be standing up and goosebumps listening. Every tragedy, God is right there. He's with us. He's for us. And 
and he's working all things out to my good. He never promised me a rosy life riding around in a Bentley, living in the country club. And here's the deal. God is committed to the end product. He's Alpha Omega, not Alpha and Omega. He knows the beginning from the end and he's actually working my life. He's already seen the end. So sometimes he chooses a road that I wouldn't choose myself, but in that road builds character. I'm not talking about he chose to put cancer. Come on now. Or he chose to put sickness and disease. He can't give you what he don't have. He can't give you what he don't have. How many's ever heard of Oral Roberts? When they started out in the tent, when the tent revivals were going in the 40s and 50s, William Branham and all that, Earl Roberts couldn't find, but I think he said three men. I think what he said. He couldn't find but three men that would agree with him that sickness was of the devil. That's why the church can't hardly deal with it. That's why we can't hardly deal with sickness and disease because we can't get people to agree that it's of the devil. Lord, I'm plowing this morning. I'm plowing in me. We can't get people to agree. Well, God's trying to, he cannot use something. Listen, if I, Grant, raise your hand. That's my oldest son back there. The one's half asleep. Listen, if I get, raise your hand. Raise your hand. If I put, listen, if I put an incurable disease on him to teach him something, Defax is coming to arrest me and his mama. Hello. Now, how in the world can we accuse God, who is good 100%, of trying to do that to his children to teach them something? He don't do that. That's jacked up religion, friend, that has taught that message and brought that line to the church. Jesus said in Acts 10, 38, Luke wrote of him and said how Jesus went about doing good, healing all that was sick and oppressed of the devil. If Jesus was down here doing good, healing all, he was working against the will of his Father. Let's look at this right here. I want to read you this verse of Scripture. I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I think it's right. I mean, no, Hebrews chapter 1. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at the time. Now listen to this. The Old Testament is a fragment of the picture of God. You can't draw the conclusion of who he is just by having part of it. It's a fragment. It's foreshadowing what is to come, Jesus. Right? The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at the time, building one truth upon another. But to us living in these days, in the last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him God created the panorama of all things at all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. When we look at Jesus in the Gospels, he puts a face on the invisible God. How we see him handle things. When we see the woman called in adultery and religion says stoner right now, we see the face of our Father that desires mercy and not judgment. God, man, help us right here. I'm trying to tell you how far we got to go. When we see bad stuff happen, when we see people do evil stuff, the church is the number one thing ready to hang them. Look at some of these trials. Church is standing there ready to hang them. God is saying, I desire mercy. 
Aren't you glad that God desired mercy over your life and over my life? Jesus came to put a face on the invisible God. So let me say this. If what you believe about God and you can't find it in the life of Jesus, you have to question what you believe. I said, if what you believe about God and who God is, if you can't find it in the four Gospels, in the life of Jesus, you have to challenge what you believe. Because He is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. Now, Jesus said when He was baptized, I mean, He saw the Holy Spirit descend. He heard His Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased which is what we have to settle today, that God is pleased with us not by what we do, but because of who we are. Come on. Not because I'm a preacher. God didn't save me to become a preacher. He didn't save Matt to become a worship leader. He didn't save Junior to become a preacher. He didn't save Terry to become a preacher, to be an elder. He didn't save Herbie to become a prophet. He saved us to bring us unto himself. That's the, the, remember in, when, he, when he talked to the children of Israel, he says, I brought you out that I may bring you unto myself. That's the goal, relationship. Not the work that I'm doing for him. This challenges what we do in the South, though. I'm trying to tell you, I've been around enough. I, I know I've preached in a few. Lord, we just want to work for you. The whole deal when I was raised up in church, we had people to stand up and this is how we left church. Just pray that we can hold on to the end. Like we were being dragged behind a funny car going down the road that we could barely hold on for our salvation. How in the world am I going to believe I'm ever going to be able to make it with stuff happening like that? You're a little kid standing there. People stand up being in church the whole life. Just pray, preacher, that we can hold on to the end. We're not trying to hold on to the end, friend. That's already been settled. We're going to heaven. Whether pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, all I know is when he calls, I'm going up yonder. Whatever it is. Hello, I'm not trying to hold on. What we're trying to do, the difference is, is not whether you're going to heaven or not. Heaven is your destination. Bringing heaven to earth is your assignment. The deal is not whether we're going this morning. The deal is how much invasion of that realm that you're going to are you going to invade this realm with. It's good preaching. All right. I'm on the second page of notes here. Look at this in Luke chapter 2. I'll tell you this too. The one thing that the Father does is I was thinking about this. I, I, was, I was playing a song to Catherine the other morning and she was like, why are you playing this sad stuff before I go to work? She was like, oh, ill with me. And so, like, don't play nothing, play nothing sad before I go to work, you know, because she's going down there in the jungle gym, you know, to try to bring the kingdom there. Third grade. And it's the end of school year, I mean. Lord, they're off the walls. You can't give them NyQuil in the school, you know. And so, there's a song that Gavin, I never heard this song, and Gavin sent it to me, so he's wanting these prayer, okay? I'm cutting up. But it's by the Zach... Uh, uh, Zach Brown band and he said when I look at you with your boys he said he said I always think about this song and the name of the song is My Old Man how many's ever heard that song My Old Man and I was telling her and I was thinking about just when I was a little boy 
that my dad, how many members the A-Team van? That early 80s van, you know, with little hood like that to fold down. And how many members back then that the motor was in between the two seats, right? And you had this big hump that come out, right? My dad had one that he worked out of. And when I was a little boy in the early 80s, man, we had to wear no seat belt. It's amazing how we're still here, ain't it? Huh? We rode on the hump, remember? But back then they built a car like a Ford LTD. You hit somebody, somebody else going down. That thing was real steel. How you know what I'm talking about? Big V8 in there, carburetor. Man. That's how these kids, you know, Asher, I mean, he's, he's uh, <coughs> five years old. If we have to wait somewhere three minutes, he's mad because he ain't got a phone. When I was a little boy, we picked up the phone and you had to wait till your neighbor, if your neighbor was on the phone. How many members party lines? Picked up the phone and said, hey, we got to call out. Now get off the phone. Remember that? And I'm, and I'm only 30, I'll be 38 this week. <laughs> so I'm listening to that song and I was thinking about, I'd be about six or seven years old, six or seven years old, and my dad be driving that van and I remember how I would be sitting on the hump, drinking a Pepsi or whatever. And I remember how great that it made me feel, how big I felt because, man, Dad was letting me sit right beside him. See, I'm trying to tell you, fathers release identity, but they all, I mean, just knowing that, that the heart of the fathers towards you, how awesome it makes you feel. I remember when my, I lost my dad at 26 years of age, and I remember that just, and like Junior and I always talk about this sometime, like the, the A team that we was a part of. You know, we called it the A team. It was the apostolic team and that camaraderie of um, fellowship of other leaders, you know, and how like when Dale was around me, just how great it made me feel. Right? This, we've got to have this back into the church. Let me say this, though. One of the things that I know is that we thought, you know, and some, sometimes past I did, that I thought just maybe apostles could be fathers. That's absolutely not true. There's many fathers in this room. Are you with me now? Everybody in here, we need every mature believer to desire that place of fatherhood where we're mentoring other believers in this room. Come on now. Hello. I sent someone a text. Man, I was weeping. I was sitting there listening to the Zach Brown, my old man, and I was just sitting there weeping. And I was, I was thinking about two young men, and I was thinking about this leader and what, how those two young men have been shaped. Listen, we don't read a whole lot about Barnabas. Okay, Barnabas didn't write any books of the Bible, right? He didn't write no books of the Bible. We don't hear about no great signs and wonders that Barnabas was doing. But let me tell you what Barnabas could do. Barnabas could father and mentor and encourage leaders. And we do find some of his protégés, which is the Apostle Paul, who birthed Timothy. Come on, somebody. We also find that Paul, when he got in a disagreement with John Mark, and he says, I perceive that this man is not not right for the ministry and him and Barnabas got in contentions and the Bible says that Paul left and went with Silas but Barnabas grabbed John Mark and took him and he mentored him and he poured into his life and then later when Paul's writing to Timothy he said hey you remember John Mark who I sidelined it looked like Barnabas has poured a lot into his life when you go by and get my books get him also and bring him back because I perceive that he's profitable for the ministry we need this is a desperate hour and I feel God all over me right now for the cry 
lie of real men to stand up in the church, stand up in the home, and become who God said they are, and be real fathers that's able to mentor, and we can be able to not really, when, when one generation we never lose it, it's really handed off. But until I become that place, my view of my heavenly father has got to get right in my own life. Right? <laughs> we got to get the lenses clean. Look at this in Luke chapter 2. If you ain't never heard that song, go listen to it. My old man. Now there, 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 now there were in the same country shepherds living out... Am I right? Yeah. In, in, in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the, of, the Lord, uh, of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, but behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Look at this. Here's God releasing His image of who He really is right now. What he's saying right here, don't get confused in the killing. Don't get, don't get confused in, the, in, in all of that that's happened in the Old Testament. Don't, don't, don't get confused with David being a man of war, wiping out tribes and all this kind of stuff. Don't get confused with Achan getting slaughtered as dogs and cattle and everything else. I'm bringing you peace. I'm bringing you peace. How many knows? I'm bringing you peace... Good tidings and goodwill toward man. This is God's announcement of Jesus. What? There's goodness towards man. You need to look at your neighbor and say, God is good towards me. Now look at this in Romans chapter 8. I've got to travel quickly right here. You know, when I first started out in ministry, I thought that we couldn't preach the same thing twice. I said, you can't. Remember that? Yeah, I, you don't want to preach the same thing twice because people think you don't study. People, people will think you're not praying because you haven't preached the same thing twice. You know what I've learned now? You've got to preach the same thing about 12 times before you should begin to see it. And here's what I understand now. The revelation that God gives me, you telling me that it's only worth 45 minutes of sharing it one time? This is how we see change when we begin to keep pushing it and pushing it till we begin to see what's happening. If you want to see it, you got to preach it and preach it till we begin to grasp it. Because here's the day I've already shelled out more than what we can comprehend. Because I, I know what it's like to sit there and people that preach for an hour. I'm long-winded if you ain't noticed. But here's and I know what it's like to sit there and you're thinking you leave the house and this is what Pentecostals do when they see them at the buffet. How was church tomorrow? It was awesome. What did he preach? Man, I'm telling you right now, it was awesome. I used to drive all the way, and I would, I would, I would, uh, I would go meet Pastor Dale at the cabin. If you've been in that cabin, we, he'd be in one recliner, and I'd be in the other. When I was set back for about six hours. I'd get home, and Catherine said, what did he say? I said, I don't know, but it was awesome. It was unreal. But here's what I've learned also, too, that I can't remember what I ate Last Tuesday, I don't remember what I ate, but I know what I know this that it sustained me till today. Your job is all you got to do is eat it. When you need to remember it, the Holy Ghost will bring it back to you. That's good teaching right there. I'm telling you right now. Wow, that preacher's preaching. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says this For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
Didn't say if you go to church, yes, son. Come on now. Those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, that word Abba, Father, is different. Somebody saying, I just got a relationship with God. This is somebody who's deepened the river. Abba means a kind, gentle, loving, tender father I'm close with. I know him as provider that he's going to take care of me. You know that Jesus said in the Beatitudes, remember on the, the Sermon on the Mount called all of it, right? You remember that he said that don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about your shelter, which is your housing. What's the number one things we worry about? Clothes, food, where we're going to live. Am I in the book? He said, don't worry about your clothes. Now, God has always clothed me. Sometimes it's been Wrangler. There's been season of Rustlers. How many knows what Rustler jeans are? That's what Daddy said. Told Mama, go down to Walmart and get him some Rustler. He needs some school jeans. You got to wash them about seven times, and you don't even have to hang them. Just stand them. stand up in the corner. Oh, no. I said, stiff. Had to, put, had to cut the backs right and put hinges on them where we could walk. <laughs> Jesus said, don't worry about this. Why? Because we're in Jubilee. He's going to take care of us. Come on now. He said, don't even worry about, don't even allow that to enter into your mind because I'm a good dad. I'm going to take care of you. Now he points over and says, look at the sparrows. They don't work. But yet what? I take care of them. And I know this, when one of them falls out the sky, I know the number of them. And I said this Wednesday night when I was a little boy, got a hand, you know, uh, Daisy Red Rider. He was steady counting because I was dropping them. He said, don't even worry about, don't worry, don't worry about your food, clothing, and shelter. I'm going to take care of you. Consider the lily. It doesn't do nothing, yet I take care of it. How much, look what he said, how much more are you than the sparrow? But if my image is messed up, I think God cares about the dog in the yard more than he cares about me. You know the reason why God cares about the dog in the yard? Because the dog means something to me, and I mean everything to him. That's why he takes care of the dog in the yard. Come on, somebody. You ain't been here long, that's my favorite saying. Come on, somebody. Trying to get somebody to do something. Come on. How much more? God's going to take care of me. He loves me. Almost done right here. I'm going to 12, though. Make it legal. In Mark 14, Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's interceding. He knows that the cross is coming. He's trying to get his will to line up with the Father's will. Then he releases this statement. He looks to heaven and he says, Abba, Father. Not only this, go back to when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. He said, pray like this. He said, Our Father. Our Father. 
Listen to me, church. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. Where every place that my dad failed, he would never fail. He's a good dad. And I told you this. I had an awesome dad. Show the picture right here. The people also see that I was also a little bit skinnier and I had hair. Lost my dad when I was 26. There's my dad on the left. I lost him when he was 52 years of age. Thought he had a kidney stone. Found out he had uh, a tumor on his pancreas, pancreatic cancer. And um, I preached his funeral on August the 2nd of 2006. And so, um, but he, he, my dad taught me a lot of great things. But when I was a little boy, my dad wasn't perfect. My dad uh, was an alcoholic. And his addiction got in the way of a lot of things in our family. And like, like a lot of addicts, he blamed his situation on everybody that was in the house. How many knows that you, if you want to truly be free, you quit blaming others and look to the cross for your provision? Amen. Nobody else caused your situation. You caused your own situation. It ain't nobody else's fault. Get your honey to the cross and God can set you free. Amen. Hello. Now, he did get free. In his, in, in, and listen, and cancer did not get the victory, right? Because when his natural body died, cancer died. Come on, somebody. He left his natural body because to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. <clears throat> so here's the deal. When you're a little boy, you go into school. Why, and my, da- my dad was an avid outdoorsman. If he was not at work, he was hunting and fishing. He loved it. I mean, had a passion for it. That's why I love the outdoors, and that's why my boys love the outdoors. <clears throat> but when I was younger, when you have friends, and friends won't come home with you, right? Well, I couldn't. I, when I was when I was in young in school, except for one of my one of my one of my best friends, who got killed in a car wreck our tenth grade summer. He would come home with me as a little boy. And I remember hearing my dad come in sometime. He'd come in real late at night, 1 o'clock in the morning. And Buddy would wake me up and we'd be laughing. You know, I would be laughing on the outside, but I was dying on the inside. Because it wasn't funny to me. <clears throat> Number one, he wasn't, no, he wasn't no 22-year-old. You know, I would be laughing on the outside, but I was dying on the inside. Because it wasn't funny to me. <clears throat> Number one, he wasn't, no, he wasn't no 22-year-old college kids. By the way, I don't believe you've got to go to college and be an alcoholic. Come on, somebody. But now you're a grown man. Act like one. You know what I'm saying? And so, anyhow, what that does, not only you failed me, you know, you failed me a couple of times. I'm just telling you some real stories to try to tell you how, how to try to help us right here. I remember the night of our graduation, my dad, <clears throat> my dad was, um, he, he was, he was, uh, he had, we had a couple of places we leased that we shot birds over those fields and he would plant them in corn. And my dad couldn't uh, just get out there and like plant corn or whatever. He had to have something out of the igloo to plant the corn with, right? Drinking. And I told him, I remember going out there like at one o'clock, hey, you better not drink by six because I'm, I'm graduating tonight. I mean, your boy's graduating. And I remember my dad was about half lit. My buddy's like, you know, man, your dad is awesome, you know. We didn't know the Lord. Come on, somebody. I was not raised in the Holy, Holiness Church. when <laughs> Everybody was backslid my house, to be honest with you. But my dad didn't know the Lord. My sisters didn't go to church. My mom was really backslid, but she would sing Southern Gospel. This is how I come from. And so all of those images come back. 
All of those images come back. But let me say this. Our Father will never let us down. All of those things become like specks on the glasses. And through the goodness of God over the years, and I look back, and Kathy and I was sitting out there a couple, what was it, maybe a week or so ago. We were sitting out uh, beside the pool or whatever, and we were just looking at our yard and all. And just Kathy looked at me, and she said, she said I'm amazed at how, God, how good God's been to us and how far God's brought us. I'm trying to tell you this morning, what, why are you preaching all this? Because I want you to know that regardless of what happens in life, God is for you, and He's absolutely good. Can you give me one more second right here, and I'm almost done. In Psalm 77, <clears throat> Psalm 77, verse 10, in the New American Standard Version, it says, Then I said, It is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. God never changes. But what happens in tragedy and trials and persecution comes to shake my view and tries to shift my view and cause my view of God to change. Now let me say this in this room this morning. And we're fixing to be done. I'm fixing to be done, okay? They paid me to 12 o'clock. I'm not going to work overtime. I'm cutting up with you. There are things that happen in this life that we will never be able to understand or comprehend. Let's say that. Mr. Tom, Mr. Billy, you guys have been at it for a long time. Is there not things that happen that you cannot understand? You don't understand it. And you can ask God why. There's some prayers that He's not going to answer because we don't pray them right. It's just like asking Junior, when did you quit beating your wife? Any way he answers that is not a good answer. When I lost my dad, I'm not going to lie to you that, and I even, I even asked the Lord third Friday when I was praying, I said, God, is, I mean, is there some type of grieving deal that you got me? But I think the Lord's just trying to lay a deeper foundation, right? And I was thinking, Lord, do I need to call Mr. Harry and try to set up a sozo meeting for me to go through? You know, I don't know what's going on, but I mean, I'm being broken about this, you know. If you've preached healing and you believed in healing, you know what I'm saying? When my dad got cancer, I was like, man, you know, this is nothing. I remember on November the 18th, he had surgery on November the 18th. So two days before that, I took my dad on a hunt. And my dad, man, he, I'm telling you, he loved to hunt. He didn't know anything about QDMA. That's quality deer management. His deer management was we lay them down. Daddy's deal was he wasn't worried about horns. I mean, he said, always shoot him. We'll check and see if he's got horns or he's on the ground. I remember one time when we were hunting or whatever, I had these, I had this doe and two yearlings. She was out there. You know, I watched her feeding all the right. And, and he had daddy was climbing about 200 yards behind me. And they went on in the woods or whatever. And then they, she got downwind from him and picked me off. She started blowing, you know, and running. She just started running straight through the woods. She run. It wasn't, it wasn't two minutes. Pow! Yeah, I heard my dad's gun go off. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so uh, I go back there. He said, I got her. She laying right over there. I mean, he just, if he killed a four point, we rode with the tailgate down. It was a trophy. <laughs> So you got to understand, I'm 26 years old. Some have lost their father younger than that. I'm 26 years old. Gran is two and a half years old when my dad dies. 
I believed in healing. I prayed every prayer I knew. I laid hands on him with oil. I mean, Valvoline, Penzo, it didn't matter to me. We laid hands on him and believed. James 5.14 says, Let the elders call upon the church. Let them lay hands on them with oil. And the sick shall recover. It didn't say that they could recover. Maybe something will happen. It says they shall recover. Now you got to understand, the night that he died, the power of God was so strong in that room, I said, this is it. Remember that? Uh, this is it. And then, but it never happened. And the reality is, the truth is, is I had to stand over a solid oak casket and preach his funeral. But there's one thing that I said that, I, that I've, I've been able to keep true is I never doubted God's goodness. I never doubted that God's still a healer because I've seen him heal since then. Come on, somebody. I cannot, I cannot explain that and I don't understand it. But how many knows this? There's a peace that goes beyond all your understanding. But here's the deal. To access that peace, you've got to give up your right to understand. Gosh, this is good right here. To access that realm of peace that goes against all understanding, goes beyond all understanding, you have to give up your, your, your right to say, I've got to have an understanding of this, but when you lay that on the altar, there's something that floods your soul, and you become like the woman that, remember when Elisha, when, when the son died and she saw him and he said, it's all well, she said, all is well with my soul. I don't understand what's happening right now in my life. I don't understand why all this Tragedy and bad stuff has come against me, but all is well in my soul because I know this. On the other side, God is good and God would never do anything to harm me and he's got a plan and a purpose in all this that's going on. That's the truth of the matter. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. So, another thing I thought of, we gotta start living every day to the fullest. That's what, that's, I mean, that's just how I'm going to do it. Every day we're going to leave it on the field. So I'm turning this thing on. And Catherine's like, man, you, you just, I mean, you just depressing me with so many songs. I'm just, how many's ever heard the song, Alan Jackson, that says, Daddy, let me drive? Well, we was in Lake Lindsey Grace, had my boat out there. And I put John Bentley in the driver's seat. It's a big, wide lake. It's long. It's deep. I put John Bentley behind the wheel. I would put the video up there, but this was, this was last summer, I think. John Bentley, eight years old. I said, drive the boat. Grant looked at me and said, you for real? Drive it, son. You see John Bentley, I mean, he throttles down. That boat planes, I don't know. I mean, he's got it, son. He's juiced it all the way. And he's got that little arm right there on the wheel. You can see, look it over there. And I, you can hear the video. I said, oh, Lord, Mama Ben's driving the boat. And I go home and we got no life jacket. <laughs> Kevin's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing that. <laughs> was out at Reed Bingham one time. I'm done. Asher's standing on the side of the boat. I done kept telling him three times. He's up on the <clears throat> front deck. Then we got a little lift about that far, and that's the side rail of the boat. And he keeps standing up there. And I told him, I said, buddy, you better get off of there. So I'm fishing, you know, and, and just whatever. And so I went to hit the trolling motor to the left. Water asked her. He flew off the side of the boat. <laughs> we had told him there was gators everywhere. He screamed and hollered. We snatched you right back to the boat. <laughs> Listen, if you ever want to learn patience and God to help you with patience, I challenge you to put that little man in your boat and you go out and fish. He, he can tangle anything from six-pound line to, to, the, to the, I mean, the, tie, the, the rope that you tie your boat down to the dock. He can put it in 100 tangles. 
Psalm 77, 10. What, what has caused God's view to change? What has caused God to change in my eyes? Because He didn't come through like I thought. You know what? God's not our servant, friend. He moves at His time and when He wants to move. On the things that I don't have answered today, I don't take that as God's not listening to me. There, I know this. If I pray according to His will, He hears. And if He hears, I have that which I've asked. Now, I may be like Daniel 21 days into this thing. It's 12 o'clock. You hear me? Hear the sirens going off. I may be like Daniel, 21 days waiting. But you know what he told Daniel when he showed up? I heard you the first day. I left on the first day. I, I, I had to go through a little turbulence, but I was on the way the first time you called. When we cry out, our Father hears us. I'm telling you, he's a good dad. I don't know what I'm going to face, and I don't know what you're going to face. But I know this, that God's going to be with us through it all. You say, well... What I found is one of the things that I miss the most is you know I don't I can't just pick up the phone and call my dad anything like that can't hear his voice and some would say well man you you live fatherless I'm not fatherless I have a father you have a father. You just got to press into him. Here's how, here, let me tell you this. Let me say this. Gavin, get that last thing ready. I'm going to show you this before I leave, though. Grab me a couple of those pictures. Show them up there. Just to do a, a couple. Look, this, this is, I, I showed this Wednesday night that I pulled up there with my boat to the schoolhouse on Tuesday. I checked those boys out. And I said, we're going fishing. Some would say, well, it's the end of the year. Listen, all their stuff's done. It's already in concrete. I took them fishing. There's principal back there. He won't get on to me. And they can get it done. John Ben wants to be an angler. He said he wanted to be a professional angler since he was five years old. I told him, I said, Ben, when you got the big ranger with the power poles on the back, the $70,000 bass boat, I said, I want you to remember Come by and get your dad and take me fishing. All right, now I want you to get this other thing ready. We'll quit bragging. But listen, you know that your father's doing the same thing about you every day. When you wake up in the morning, he's excited and said, look, he just hit the floor. Do you believe that? You know, it took me a while to believe it. I went to Hazelhurst, Georgia one time to preach a funeral of a guy that I didn't know. <clears throat> I was a whole lot younger. And I remember praying, and I said, Lord, what, what do, what, how, how do I preach this funeral? I said, I don't know this guy. I don't know where he stood or anything. How am I going to go preach this funeral? And this is what the Lord told me. He said, preach, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I said, God, I, I really don't want to take a message that little. You know, I mean, at least let me look like a good preacher, like I know the Bible. But you would be surprised how many people don't know Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You want me to tell you how your view of the Father is? What do you do when you sin? Do you run away from God or do you run to God? If you make a mistake and you sin against God, do you want to go run to Him or do you want to run away from Him? 
I can tell you what most of us are doing in this room. We're putting fig leaves on our situation and we're trying to get away from God. It's in that very moment when you make the mistake that you should want to run to Him. Climb up in His lap. I don't ask Him to forgive me because I need Him to forgive me. I ask Him to forgive me because I want to identify the faults in my heart that don't damage our relationship. He's already forgiven me. When he went to the cross and I accepted what he did, he forgave me of my sin, that I, every sin that I would ever commit to the end of my life. That's hard for some people to believe. We can forgive, but most people say, well, God can forgive me of my past sin. Listen, when Jesus went to, your, went to the cross, all your sins are future. Because you hadn't showed up in the earth to commit them yet. Now I want to play this over you right here. How many's ever heard the Father's love letter? few people I heard this when I was about 24 years old there was a guy by the name of Leif Hetland come to our church and um remember that guy went out to uh we went out to eat with him and all and hung out with him and now he's he's with Bill Johnson them he's made it you know what I'm saying he's he's at the top of the game but anyhow uh this is he played this cd this cd right here change your life you hear me how many is ready for your life to be changed? When you leave this right here, you're going to know how much. This is nothing but the Bible fixing to be read. I, I'm asking you to close your eyes right here. Close your eyes right here and listen. Let it play. Right again. The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And he is the father you have been looking for all your life. This is his love letter to you. My child, you may not know me. But I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. 
My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are broken hearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. Nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad, almighty God. Amen. Raise your hands right here. I'm going to pray with us before we leave. Father, we thank you for just being who you are, a great, great Father. Lord, I pray today, God, that you would wipe away every speck off of the lens that religion has sold us, that we ourselves have built up. And Lord, let us see you just for truly who you are. And I thank you that you are 100% good, that you love us, you are for us, you are encouraging us, you are cheering us on. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media. 